0: Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully, we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Hey, church, it's good to see everybody here at the 1130 service at Highland Colony. We're so glad to have you here with us. Uh, And you know, we're excited. We're going to have some food and fellowship and all those kinds of things at the end of service. Uh, Real quick on that note, uh, you know, I I think we we need to do a better job of educating people of what we do here at Word of Life. You know, there's no money that just flows to us. It flows through us to missionaries all over the world. And one of those missionaries is Changing Destiny. So every time you give to this house, it goes to Changing Destiny. A part of that goes to Changing Destiny. And what this program is for is it started with children. We noticed that in Calcutta, and I've been to Calcutta many times, um, that uh, children were being trafficked from Nepal in Calcutta. Uh, And so we began a program and helped begin a program that took those children out of human trafficking and over into a place where we could disciple them to be followers of Jesus Christ, uh, but also uh, set them up to be successful in life. But we noticed that there were many children uh, who were were growing up in that area and becoming so learned to that lifestyle that they did not see a path forward. And so how many of you know that God wants to save you from trauma, but how many of you know that even if you have gone through it, God can redeem your life, (laughs) pick up the piece of it and remember you. Uh, And so we didn't want ladies feeling like that their life was irredeemable, that that is actually the message of Jesus Christ, that Christ can redeem you no matter where you find your life. And so we began a a program that takes these ladies and trains them on how to do hair and fix nails and make coffee and all those types of things so that they could find employment uh, that was a different lifestyle. And we have seen God come in and transform the lives of, of hundreds of ladies, and then we paid to have... Uh, that development and, and developmental center built uh, so that they could take these ladies and begin that training process. But you did all that through your radical generosity to this church and to this house. So give it up for yourselves, word of life. That is what you did. Uh, And speaking of giving, uh, you guys know that around this time last year is when we started having physical services here at this campus, so today marks our one-year anniversary uh, as a church at this campus. Uh, and uh, when we were given the church, it had about $1.97 million worth of debt. We started a, a generosity project entitled uh, Mission Accomplished, where our mission is to pay off the debt of Highland Colony. And I am pleased to announce that the last time we updated you guys, it was like 637000 over the span of, um, which is not bad, $1.97 million to $697,000. It has now dropped all the way to about $400,000, uh, which is amazing. Uh, And we honestly believe by the end of summer we are going to be 100% debt-free at this campus by the good hand of God. And so we want to say thank you. Uh, to everyone who has helped us with that project. Uh, Now, like I said, today we are going to uh, have lunch and fellowship, and I can't wait to eat and meet with all of you guys and just say hello and shake your hands and hear your stories and your testimonies. Uh, It's a beautiful thing. But uh, before that, I have something on my heart that I want to share that I believe has come from God to, uh, to us today to just nourish our souls and give us strength for this journey of life. Uh, But I also want to take a moment and just say thank you for coming to the 1130 service. You know, we said last week that there is no success without sacrifice. And if a church is going to be successful, it means that people sacrifice on behalf of the church. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I know for many of you, you are making the choice to sacrifice attending the service of your preference, (laughs) whether that is 830 or 10 o'clock, to come in and meet a need uh, that is here at the 1130 service at this campus, and so I would love for you to prayerfully consider setting down your roots here. Uh, at this campus, there's many, are at the service time. Um, so many reasons why. One, you get to sleep in. And who does not like sleeping in? Just ask the worship team who has to get up here at like 7 a.m. every morning. Uh, an extra hour helps. Uh, and so out of that, you get to sleep in. Secondly, by the time you get out of service, the lunch crowd has kind of diminished and now you get to come in after and there's a little less wait time. So out of that, it's a win-win no matter how you cut it. And you get to serve the church Uh, in this way just by making a simple little change in how you adjust that schedule and so I just want to say thank you in advance uh, if for those of you who are making that decision let's open up our Bibles today uh, if you brought them to the book of Acts Uh, we're gonna read Acts chapter 28 Uh, the the brother Luke wrote the book of Acts he was a disciple uh, of the Lord. And when I say disciple of the Lord, he was not one of the original 12, <laughs> but he was a follower of Christ, got converted, uh, and wrote a letter to a king uh, that was the book of Acts. Um, and out of it, we're going to see just a, an interesting moment in the life of Paul. But before we dive into this, let me just pray. Father, we come before you today. We love you. You know my heart, which is I want to communicate with the heart that is yours. And so, Father, I ask that in this place... No matter who is here, no matter what they have faced, that while I talk, they hear your Holy Spirit speak, and that in all things you would be glorified, and we ask it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 28, and we're going to look here in verse 1. It'll also be on the screens. Uh, A little bit of knowledge before this moment. In Acts chapter 27, you see Paul go through an awful season of life. Now, I will not show. uh, ask for a show of hands uh, if you are currently going through an awful awful season of life or have been through an awful season of life, uh, but Paul went through 14 days. The only way to describe it would be hell on earth. He was caught in the middle of a boat in the middle of a storm, and he literally thought he was going to die. Uh, There was so much pressure that everyone on the boat thought that they were going to die. They were losing things of value. This was not a pretty picture. Uh, And they survived and then, you know, landed on an island in the middle of nowhere called Malta. And I want to look at what happens next. So we'll look here in Acts chapter 28, verse number one. And when they were escaped, meaning that horrible storm that lasted 14 days, uh, they knew that the island was called Malta. And there were barbarians. So there's that, too. There were barbarians, uh, but thankfully they were kind. And they saw that they were cold from the shipwreck and the rain. So they kindled a fire uh, and got them out of the cold. Verse 3, Paul decides to help the barbarians build the fire. So he's gathering a bundle of sticks, and he, he laid them on the fire. And there came a viper out of the heat. And didn't just bite him, but fastened himself to Paul's hand. It's like, what? And verse 4, and when the barbarians saw the venomous, I love the King James. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang from Paul's hand, they said among themselves, no doubt, this man is a murderer, whom though he did escape the sea, yet vengeance suffers him not to live no doubt he must be a bad man to go through something this bad Uh, like there's no other way to explain all of these bad things in Paul's life other than to explain he must be a bad man made mistakes because this much bad is happening in his life right now Uh, have you ever seen anything bad happen to you Uh, it could be an economic crunch of things aren't working out financially the way that you thought they would. And out of that, there's pressure. Uh, pressure on you, pressure on your family, maybe even pressure on the kids. Uh, we go through things relationally. Uh, sometimes there's just uh, things that come up in relationships uh, that hurt us far more than a bill could ever hurt our hearts, that there are wounds that we develop in the process of time. Uh, there are things that, that grieve us. Uh, there are things even in the world sometimes that we see. Uh, And unfortunately, it seems like we've been seeing a lot of these things more often, where we're seeing heartache in the world and pain in the world, and it's like, what is going on? Uh, For the Apostle Paul, here he is, he's just gotten out of a horrible event, like 14 days of hell on earth, he's trying to make it better, and literally a venomous beast. bites him and is hanging from his hand and everyone around him is like you must have done something really awful to make it through all of that and now to be facing this as well Uh, with those thoughts in mind I want to look at another passage of scripture we'll come back to this and this passage of scripture is found in the book of first Peter so you can turn and look at that with us if you want and it'll be on the screens as well but first Peter writes something and in chapter 1 and verse 6, he writes the following. And these, uh, these verses in my life have become a guidepost. I look at these verses probably once a month uh, to just take stock of the wisdom and the knowledge that is in it. But watch what he writes here in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice. So we're not just rejoicing, we're rejoicing greatly. Though now for a season, if need be, You are in heaviness, isn't that interesting? For a season, not for a lifetime, but for a season if need be, you are in heaviness through or because of a manifold of temptations. And what's going on is it's the trial of your faith, but it is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found unto a praise and an honor and a glory at the appearing of Christ. Now, let's take the back end of this verse and work our way up to the top. One day, everybody in here, when I say everybody in here, I literally mean everybody in here, will stand before Jesus. Uh, this is not the end when you die. Death is not the end. I was talking about this in the four you were someone. Death is not the end, it's a departure. And when you depart this earth, a new life begins, and you're standing before Jesus. When you see him, you will see eyes of love. He sits on a throne of grace, which is very interesting to me. A throne of grace is what he sits on. And when you see him, uh, you will see in him the embodiment of love, God is love. You can't see God without seeing His love for you. But not only will you see something, the Lord will see something in you. And He's looking for something specific. He's looking for faith. And what faith is, it's not a life void of doubts, it is the confronting of them. It is not a life void of pain, it is the confronting of that pain. And in the middle of that, it is a belief in God that remains unshaken, that remains pure. And when he sees that faith, uh, for you, you will be rejoicing in his love. But you're not the only one who's rejoicing, apparently. That when you stand before the Lord, your faith will be found honorable, praiseworthy. Your faith will be seen as something that is worthy of giving thanks. And he says, the way your faith gets that way is it is tried with fire. Now, uh, it's funny to me how oftentimes, especially in full gospel Christianity, we like to, which full gospel just simply means we believe the whole thing. (laughs) So we do, we believe the whole thing Uh, from Genesis to Revelations. We just believe it fully. Uh, but oftentimes, with the concept of full gospel teaching, everyone gets the ideas of like rainbows, unicorns, and butterflies. Uh, life is cotton candy uh, and float on a bed of ease. And we like to take all the suffering out of it, uh, which is, is true in one sense of you have a God who loves you. And like any loving father, um, he never wants to see his children suffer. But in this life, you will have seasons. Scripture tells us this in the New Testament. It does not shy away from this fact. You will have seasons, not lifetimes. It can be a lifetime, depending on what you do in the season. But seasons of manifold temptations, like literal seasons of like this happened, then that happened, then this happened, where you ask the question, what is going on? Or, why is this happening to me? Which is, honestly, a valid question. (laughs) Why is this happening to me? uh, Is probably a decent question to ask in most situations because, um, we say this often, but it bears repeating, Uh, for me, it is not burdensome to be repetitious. And for you, it is safe. Uh, Good times Mask bad habits. Um, In good times, it masks bad habits. Bad times often wake you up to truths you have been ignoring. Uh, So, in good times, swipe, 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 charge, 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 credit card. It's a blessing. Bad time, it's like, oh my gosh, I need a budget. Like that truth was always there. Uh, But in good times, it masks bad habits. Bad times wake us up to truths that we have been ignoring. So sometimes the question, why is this happening to me, is a valid question. Because there is something I need to learn. But other times, the reason why the snake is hanging from my hand is not because God is mad at me. And it's not because I need to learn anything from this. It is because, at the end of the day, there is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we as Christians cannot afford to be ignorant of his devices. That we have something in our life uh, that hates us uh, and wants to destroy us and wound us. And like a good shepherd, Jesus tries to lead us away from this sheep. But there is a wolf. And make no mistake about it. There is a wolf. So out of this, our faith often is tried. Your faith will be tried by people. If you haven't figured this out yet, welcome to Christianity. Uh, Today, you're going to get an education as to what's been happening to you. Your faith will be tried by people. When you come to church, you're going to hear principles on forgiveness and gentleness and kindness uh, kindness and long-suffering and goodness and meekness, and then you're going to meet somebody uh, who definitely test you in all those areas. You don't want to meek, be meek. You don't want to be forgiving. You definitely don't want to be patient or kind. And so your faith will be tested by people. Has anybody in here ever had your faith tested by a person? Uh, what you believe uh, was tested. And it's like, I don't want to love you. And I definitely don't want to turn the other cheek right now. In fact, I'd like to slap you back. Uh, so out of that, our faith will be tested. But But, and we know this to be true, when we take our faith through that fire, and we practice our Christianity, and it becomes more than just something that we've taught, it becomes something that we are, we're more forgiving, we are more kind, we are more gentle and easy to be entreated, and we come out pure from that fire. Sometimes our faith is not tested by people, sometimes it's tested by God, that God comes and knocks on the door of our heart as Abraham and asks for Isaac, and it's something precious and we don't want to give it, but he's trying to refine our faith and to see what do you love more, do you love me more, do you love Isaac more, and he tests us in that area to see if we love him more than the thing that he gave us, and through doing that, our faith is refined, and we come out more consecrated, we come out more holy, we come out better, because we were taking our faith through that fire. Our faith will be tested. Paul's faith here uh, was going through manifold temptations. His faith was going through this test and trial because of the direct disobedience of somebody's conscience. And maybe some of you have had this happen in your life of God dealt with your heart. And when I say dealt with your heart, I'm not talking about like God like thundering from heaven of like, Joel, don't do this. But you had like this rubbing on the inside that maybe I shouldn't take my life in this direction or go there or listen to this. And you took your life in that direction anyway. Uh, Paul in Acts chapter 27, before the shipwreck Before the craziness, before all of this faint snake fastened on his hand, like before any of this, he's about to get on the boat, and you can read this in Acts chapter 27, and he stops, and he's like, I perceive that if we get on this boat, it could cost us the ship, all of the supplies on the ship, and probably will cost us our lives. So everything you read in Acts 27 and 28, was not God's will. None of it was God's will. None of it was God's plan. Not a lick of it happened the way God wanted it to happen. God wanted Paul to go to Rome, not Malta. Malta was not on God's radar. Malta was not God's plan. In fact, God was trying to deal with, uh, with his heart, with Paul's heart. Don't get on that boat. Uh, and Paul tells people in his life, this belief that we shouldn't get on this, but they violate their heart at the expense of their head. Uh, their education takes them away from their heart, and they walk by what they see, and not by what they believe. They they walk by reason and logic. They eat from the forbidden fruit again and take of the knowledge of, well, it seems good, and it seems bad if we would stay now, but it seems okay if we would go then. And in all their ways, they don't acknowledge their heart, but they lean on their own understanding, and it takes them into the middle of a storm that almost killed them. And so Paul's life is in this moment of he is in a storm, in a manifold of temptations, uh, because of the direct disobedience of people in his life, But when he finally gets out of that, he's just trying to be a good guy and help the barbarians. Like this sounds made up, but like this was real life. He's helping the barbarians build a fire for all the people who are cold because they've been in water. Uh, And while he is building the fire, a snake latches onto his hand. And everyone there is thinking, Paul must be a horrible human being to have this kind of stuff happen in his life. In Acts chapter 27, you see the, the kind of four kind of moments of knowing you're going through a manifold test and trial. Uh, number one, they'll put it up on the screens you're losing control. Uh, So if you're going through a a manifold season of tests and trials, you find yourself losing control. Like you don't know why you're acting this way, but instead of you having control of sadness, sadness is controlling you. Instead of you having control of anger, anger is controlling you. When Paul was on the ship, uh, he said, finally, we, let the, we gave up trying to control the ship, and I love the way the King James puts it, it says, and we just let it drive. <laughs> so it's like, wherever it takes us, it takes us. Uh, that instead of us controlling it, it is now controlling us. And when you're going through a season of manifold uh, temptations, uh, it's things in life that typically are within your control, the environment, your security, your peace, your emotions, you're feeling yourself losing control. That you're in a situation now and you can't control it. And you're feeling things you can't control. Secondly, I've seen this happen to people when they go through manifold temptations, test or trial. Secondly, they began on the boat to cast over things that they needed and wanted. It's like, if we're going to make it through this, we don't need to focus on this. So cast it over the boat. And so they began to cast over their supplies and began to cast over food that they desired, and said, right now it's not a time to focus on our needs or wants. We must survive this moment. They lost aim of what they needed. In fact, you read the story, for 14 days, most of them did not eat in spite of food being on the ship. Because when you get in those moments of manifold temptations, you're forgetting you need to rest. You're forgetting what you need to function. You're forgetting to have worship moments. You're forgetting to have meditation. You're forgetting to have uh, moments where Scripture is speaking to you. You're forgetting to laugh. Who needs laughter right now? And we're denying spiritual truths that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that in test or trials, we are to count it all joy. Why? That's when we need it the most. But it's like in that moment, it's like it's not necessary. And so we don't laugh, we don't sing, we don't rejoice, Because I don't need it right now. I'm surviving. Manifold temptations. Uh, The next thing, number three, they'll put it up on the screen. You're experiencing days of darkness and directionless. Uh, Here we see uh, they're on this boat, and the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 27, for three days it got so chaotic and the storm was so thick that no one could tell if it was actually day or night. Like, it's like, I don't, I don't know if it's nighttime or daytime right now. So the days are dark. And when you're going through a season of manifold temptations, there is a spirit of heaviness that is on you that's more than natural. It's actually something else. It's it, I, I would say almost borderline demonic. There's a spirit of heaviness uh, that just hits people. And it weighs on their mind, and it weighs on their body, and it's unseen. Like, if I took a weight and put it on your back, and like, I know CrossFit just had this thing called the Murph, where you take like a 20-pound body weight and you run with it. And of course, it wears you out. I've never done it, but I admire those who do. Uh, So so I pray for your joints. Uh, But out of that, they take this 20-pound weight and run with it. And like, you could see that weight and how it would tire you out, faster but there is a spirit of heaviness that is unseen that does the same thing and it gets on you and you're tired all the time and it doesn't make sense because it's like I'm rested it doesn't make sense it's like I'm eating it's because it's not natural it's not of this world it's a spirit of heaviness and just like if you wore a 20 pound weight you'd get tired faster when a spirit of heaviness is on you you can't sleep it off because it's not physical and not only in their life was like this this heaviness and darkness all around them but the way that they tracked where the ship was going was through the direction of the sun moon and stars so when you can't tell if it's day or night you can't see your guides so not only is it heavy I don't know my way out And when you're going through a season of manifold temptations, it's like when life is great and good and you're okay, it's like I'm going to do this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and it'll work. But when you're going through a season of manifold temptations, it's like I genuinely don't know what to do next. Like this is to the place where I don't have any direction. Like I don't know how to process this. I don't know how to get out of this. And it it panics the mind because the mind always wants a way out. But in a spirit of heaviness, I can't see it. And then lastly, number four, you simply find yourself at a place you thought your life would never be. You never saw yourself that bound. You never saw yourself that addicted. You didn't grow up as a little boy or a little girl, you know, planning to be in that much bondage or in that much debt or that sick or wrestling with that at that age. Like you did not think you would end up there. And for Paul, he he had a heavenly vision literally, Paul had a heavenly vision that his life was supposed to go to to Rome. He gets on the boat to go to Rome. Never in a million years did he ever think he would wind up on Malta. Malta was not Rome. Rome was like luxurious. It's Rome. It's like the metropolitan area of the world. You get the gospel to Rome, you can get the gospel to the world. But instead of getting to Rome, he finds himself on a 17 by 9 piece of of land, a 17 miles by 9 miles piece of land in the middle of nowhere called Malta. It's like, how did I end up here? I, I never in a million years would have planned uh, to be uh, here. I've had that so many times in life, it's laughable. I I preached about that a couple of weeks ago. I wrote a journal, uh, like, or I had to do it for a school project, an English project, uh, in seventh grade of where I saw my life 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And I wrote it all out, and I found it uh, with my kids one day in the garage. And I'm reading out my plans, and it's like, None of that happened that way. And I start bawling like uncontrollably in my claw. And I never do this. Like, my kids never see me this emotionally vulnerable. I am in, you can ask my son, he's on the front row. Uh, uh, so, like, he, he's watching me read my story. And I am bawling like uncontrollably because all of my story had my father in it. Nothing on those pages in seventh grade, saw him dying at 44. It wasn't my plan. I didn't ever expect to, I I literally never expected to end up here. I was an introvert. My biggest fear was public speaking. Like, my second time ever preaching, I forgot to tell the congregation to be seated. (laughs) This is a true story. They stood the whole time. And I didn't know it until it was over. And I'm like, be seated? I'm closing? And when you're going through a season of manifold temptations, you didn't see this. You didn't plan it. And here's the thing about Acts chapter 28, neither did God. Do you know not everything always goes according to God's plan? God didn't want that for Paul. God tried to keep that from happening to Paul. Jesus is is coming to Peter and saying, I don't want what's about to happen to you to happen to you. So I'm praying that when you go through this, your faith, why? Because that's what he's after. Remain strong and you will strengthen your brethren. This was not Paul's plan, this was not God's plan. Nothing's going according to the way anybody wants it to go, but yet it went that way. And what do you do when you find yourself in that type of moment? What's it all after? Your faith. Your conviction in God. I'm not talking about uh, like a a type of message you may have heard from a quote-unquote faith preacher. I'm talking about your conviction in God a love for him an embrace of him a belief in him that it will be even as he told you to be that's what it's after a couple of weeks ago i found found myself again at this place and here's the thing you need to know about me especially those of you new for the church every time i preach i will tell a life story unless I genuinely don't have one, at which point I see, like, I need to live this better so I get a life story I can share with you. Uh, Because for me, this is not something that is, is done for a career. I never wanted to do this. But I have a brand of Christianity that works for me. This is not preacher hype. And I know everyone has a different brand in terms of how they process scripture, For me, years ago, the Lord asked me, read through the New Testament and act like no one ever taught you about it, and live that way. And so I I began endeavoring to process my beliefs through that lens, and what I'm doing works for me. I'm not broken, and neither are my children. My children love the Lord Jesus. Perfect? No. But they love the Lord. Uh, Me and my wife, we love each other deeply and passionately. And so I I try to process Scripture in a way that it will work for you and then model it myself to see if it works. Because if it's not, I need to modify my doctrine. Um, And so out of this, I found myself again a couple of weeks ago at an act type of 28 moment, and and I'm like, what is this snake attached to my hand? Like, I did not see this coming, in the words of Jackson. I did not see this coming. Uh, And my mom, I got a phone call. I was having a um, staff meeting, and my mom um, uh, was in a car accident. Uh, My stepfather called me twice. He power called me. Has anyone ever power called you? It's like they call you, and then, like, they didn't pick up. I'll call her again. It's like I didn't pick up the first time. Anyway, I'm kidding. Not really. Uh, but it was rare for for someone, to for him, to power call me and to call me twice. I'm like, something's up. And so I called him back right after a meeting. He told me, your mom was on her way to your sister's house, and it was raining, and her tire slipped off the road and hit a culver, flipped, and she's in the hospital. Uh, long story short, um, she broke basically her whole left side, like six ribs, shoulder, pelvis, and her L2 vertebrae. And so out of that, as a miracle, she was alive. It was even a greater miracle. She wasn't paralyzed. Uh, And the doctors went in and put in rods and screws and All of those types of things. I forgot to tell the other services. She's doing fine. (laughs) So like everybody after service like, how's your mom? I'm like, I left that part out of the story. So she's actually getting out of the hospital uh, uh, next week, which is great. Uh, So, but uh, we were rotating days because of COVID. You can only have one person in there a day, which is just so taxing for everyone. Um, and thank God for good nurses. And Doc, can we give it up for our nurses and our doctors? And sheesh But out of this, um, my mom this was the first day I was there, it was the day she was beginning physical training, which is where you're going to learn to function with six pro ribs, and a rod and screws in your back that has been stapled and glued and everything else. And so they're asking me to help, like, position her to walk. And we're, we're doing this, and to hear her pain. Like, I don't know why, but I never processed a parent's pain that way before. And I'm kind of in that season of life where I have the double pool. Like, I have those who are before me, and my, my grandmother, and my, my parents. And I also have my children. And, like, in, in both ways, I feel responsible for their care. So there's a double pool there. And I'm I'm hearing my mom process this pain, and I I just almost start tearing up because you never ever process as a child hearing your mom go through pain like that. And so my heart is just breaking, but I'm trying to max my pain so she can't see um, that where her concern doesn't morph into me. And so she goes through all that, and then I get a text from my wife, and she said, did you hear the news? I'm like, no, what? And a mentor of mine, uh, who was a a minister, died. And I knew he was sick, but I didn't know he was that sick. And this guy was just one of those guys who seemed indomitable, like one of those guys who, who literally just appeared as if they were larger than life. Uh, He's a guy who would take you by the face and uh, slap you on one cheek and then kiss you on the other, if you were a man. Uh, And a young man. And so he would have those moments where he was just completely unafraid to address young men. And to tell them that's what a man is, he is tough and tender. He is strong, he is cool, he is able, but he's also sensitive to people and spiritual things. That's what manhood is, it's learning how to be both, tough and tender. And out of this, I never will forget the first time he met me, he slapped me as hard as he could in the chest. And I'm like, who are you? And I'm like, you better pay attention. Uh, to, you, you know, better check yourself before you wreck yourself because I knew I grew up in church. But I came to this place where I loved them and I don't know why we do this, but oftentimes with those, especially in ministry who are strong, we make them indomitable. Um, and you just don't have, you, you think they'll live forever and you think that they will be strong Forever. And to hear that he died, man, it hurt me. And I get my car, and I'm I'm headed home, and I'm processing all these things. And I, I pull up in my garage, and I know that when I go in my house, my wife and my children are going to be there. And I'm trying to think about how I will process this pain in front of them. And so I do this quite often. Before I entered in the house, I bowed my head to my heart. Because when we say, bow your head and close your eyes, this is not just something that we do for religious reasons. This is saying, like, you have lived so long from this. And from the beginning of time, this was always the wrestle. Eat of the knowledge of good and evil. Gravitate towards this and forget and forsake this. Gravitate towards this and forsake this. Gravitate towards all that your eyes see and your ears hear and your eyes want. Gravitate towards that and forget your heart. And so when we say bow your head to your heart, it is redeeming Adam and Eve's choice and say, I will not live from this. That, Father, I know with my eyes I saw pain today. And I knew with my ears I heard pain today. I know with my life I have processed nothing but grief and tears today. But in my heart I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And if i got to climb the stairs and go up and look for the cloud again, I will. Because all I need is a cloud the size of a man's hand to believe God's about to do something that is greater than I've ever seen Him do before. Paul's story did not end with a snake attached to him. You know what Paul did? You can read it for homework. Makes good reading. Acts twenty eight. You know what Paul did? Paul has this snake attached to his hand, and you know what? He could have easily have said, "God, what in the world? Forget this! What is going on?" He could have nourished his pain. He could have nourished his resentment. He could have come up with all the reasons why it was unfair, unjust, not right. How life had been unfair, how he had been mistreated, how none of this should have happened. He could have nourished his resentment, just like Cain did. And asked, God, how could you reject me like this? He could have nourished his resentment, just like John the Baptist was tempted to do. If it's really you, Jesus, why am I in prison? He could have nourished his resentment. But I would ask you this question, where would that would have taken him? If he had come back and looked at how hurt he was, where would that would have taken him if if he would have come and looked at how unfair it was? Where would it have taken his soul if all he ate from was the table of resentment? Where would it have taken him? I'm telling you where it wouldn't have taken him. It wouldn't have ever taken him off that island. He'd have been buried there. But you know what Paul did? By the grace of God, the Bible says, he shook off the snake and dropped it in the same fire it came out of and i'm telling you ladies and gentlemen at some point in your life you got to learn how to shake it off You have to see, I'm not going to let this thing and its venom go through my system. I will shake it off. And out of shaking it off, Paul not only lived, but Paul saw a miracle on Malta, a miracle in a place his life never should have been, a miracle in a place God never wanted him to be, a miracle in a moment God never designed for his life to be in. But God says, life doesn't have to go perfect in order for me to be good. I can be good all the time and right there on malta a revival broke out the whole island was one to jesus all the people on the barbarians get together and they're like you know what all that stuff you lost we want to give you all that stuff back oh and you're going to need a ship to get to rome and paul gets to rome it all works out stands before kings and the book of acts ends but you know why You had a man who stopped nourishing his resentment, who shook off his pain, and who made a decision to believe that even in this moment, right here on Malta, God can make a miracle in Malta. What do you need to shake off today? I tell people this all the time. Some of the worst advice you can ever give people is get over it. Get over it. It's horrible advice. It undermines people's pain. It undermines what people are going through. Just get over it. Horrible advice. It's also the best advice. (laughs) It's the truth. It's the worst and the best. You don't want to hear it. But you got to shake it off. What other option do you have? There is no other option. If you don't, it'll kill something in you. But you can use the fire as a refiner. I'll close with this story. Marcus, can I have my weapons? I'll close with this. I got a sword. Genuine weapons right here. Um, we, we have a family who's here who's just near and dear to uh, my own and um, they've walked through fire recently had a, a loved one who passed away she was a mother and a wife and she passed and death is not a departure, our death is not the end, it's a departure and she saw the Lord's love and the Lord knows He saw her faith. Praiseworthy. But of course, death for those who go is, is wonderful. To depart and be with the Lord is far better. But oftentimes it leaves awake in this earth. Ripple effect. And what that ripple effect always designs to do is to sift our faith like we. With things we don't understand, with Maltas, and we ask, why is this snake attached to my hand? And never more so in those who are already emotionally vulnerable, especially children. And the way I know that is because my father died when I was 17. So her children, one of which was 16 years old, she passed away last Saturday. Her son, who was 16 years old, woke up Sunday morning fully dressed. His dad looked at him and said, What are you doing? He said, I'm going to church. He's the drummer for his church Going to church And of course the temptation there is is You don't have to go, you don't have to play You don't have to drum But the boy spoke up and said There's no other place mom would want me to be Than church Nothing else she'd want me to do but drum. So he shows up at the church. Of course, everybody's surprised to see him. He's going to play drums that day. Everyone is coming in and, and telling him he doesn't have to. But he tells him the same thing he told his father, that this is exactly what she'd want me to do. And he said, I do have one request, though. Her favorite song is Rattle. Live. Live, dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. And that boy got up there on that stage and drummed. Why does it matter? I'll tell you why it matters. One, that's exactly what his mom would want him to do. And everyone who has ever had a loved one pass, you better remember that, that you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that man who died. He'd want me to slap a boy on the cheek, kiss him on the other, tell him that's a man, tough and tender. We ought to take the best of those who left and embody them in this life. Instead of mourning over what we lost, we ought to take and work it with the courage to become it, to live it out. Because this generation, I'm telling you, we're close to losing the next one. And if we don't have some heroes of faith step up and show this next generation how to pray and believe God, I'm telling you, we'll lose them. It's not enough to have these heroes of faith go before us. We must decide to be them. So that's the first reason why it's correct is he's right. That is exactly what you'd want him to do: live that way with courage and conviction. But I'll tell you why he's right for another reason, is because this, I'm sure, in the hands of the right person, could be incredibly dangerous this is not near at its full potential. You take this and you put it in a fire and you beat on it. You take this and you put it in a fire and you get it soft enough where you can shave something off of it telling you at the end, you can have a weapon that is found unto glory and unto praise and unto honor. A weapon that does not die on Malta, but a weapon in spite of the pain shakes it off and see God do a miracle on Malta. And something that wasn't even his plan and something that wasn't even his will, it didn't matter because God and his great power can redeem absolutely anything. And I'm telling everyone in here, you got a choice. You can abandon your convictions when pain comes, or you can pray and sing so loud that the prisoners begin to hear you. That late in a midnight hour, we don't act like cowards or people who don't have a God. We stand up with strength and we drum our little hearts out, and we sing through our pain, and we worship through our tears, and we act like we still have a God in the face of it all, and no, it won't be perfect, and no, we won't be perfect, but a God who is living and is strong can come in right every wrong, answer every question in the next life and we'll look up before him one day and cast our crowns at his feet and say those moments that I did that, it was for this moment right here so that you could look at me and when you do you see faith conviction not the absence of doubts but the courage to face him Not the absence of pain, but the courage to let it make me better. I think we need to sing some rattle today. What about you? I'm going to pray. You guys can stand now. I'm going to pray. And as we pray, we'll start singing at the end of it, and then we'll have some lunch. I can't wait to eat with you. Father, we come before you today. And we thank you that our dry bones will hear the word of the Lord, that, Father, on our malta's, we make a decision right now that we will not consult our wounds or simply magnify the snake. But, God, we will have the courage to say that even in the middle of a place that did not go according to plan, you will receive our worship, you will receive our faith, and you will see us shake off every snake that tries to bite us and send to the same fire it came out of. Father, I thank you for a miracle on Malta. I thank you, Lord, we shake it off and we press on that by your grace we run the race that is set before us. That, Father, we lay aside every weight, we shake off every sin, and we run the race that is set before us. We say in Jesus' name our past is over, the best days of our lives. We love you, Father, and we thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen.